All right, all right. Y'all got everybody have a seat? There's a bunch of people in the back looking for seats. You guys got a seat? Okay. Well, good evening, C12. Um, I, uh, my name is Heather Simple. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at 12. So I was here with you a couple of months ago. Hi. Hi. That's me. I have less hair now. I'm the one that shared the fun fact with you that I have a tattoo that means fart. You remember that? Yes. For those of you, that's right, redneck, tell me that. So if you missed it, I don't, I don't know how to help you, but I'm not going to go into it again today. Um, ask your neighbor. So um, I know that Miles has been, and I, I work with Miles, and I know that he's been um, leading you through this uh, very unexpected transition here at C12. And I'm going to be joining together with Miles. And uh, since I work with him normally in other areas, I'm going to join with him and start working with him and helping out in C12. And so you'll see us kind of tag teaming some speaking and things like that. And I told him, well, if you let me go into C12, you're going to have a hard time getting me out. Because I just have to tell you, this is one of my favorite places at 12 Stone. Um, you guys should know that you've a, it's a very, very special thing here. Okay. Since I shared with you my little fart fun fact last time. I'm going to move this. Um, I just thought it, I should just maybe go ahead and open up with another little fun fact. Um, one of my few claims to fame, few, is that I have a, a friend who is also very famous. He's a very good friend, and he also happens to be very famous. And I don't mean like kind of famous, like on some reality. I mean very, very famous. <clears throat> and I tell people that I have this friend and no one really believes me. Do any of you know a celebrity or have a famous friend? Anyone? You do? Like legit famous. Okay. Okay. So one, one, one and a half of you, like about. Okay. So years ago, uh, when my husband, who's actually hanging out with me here tonight, he was back there. Yeah. He's back here. Uh, whew, I know. He's super. Yeah. He's super hot, I know. Okay. I know, I know. And he just touched the man's leg next to him. I don't, I apologize for that. <clears throat> All right. Um, well, years ago, uh, my husband used to be a youth pastor. And so, because he was a youth pastor, sometimes we would end up at these large youth conferences. And we happened to be at a youth conference where um, this person who turned into being a very good friend of mine um, was because uh, he's actually um, a believer. In fact, uh, fans of his are called believers. That's right. That's right. My good buddy is Justin Bieber. I know. Now, to prove this to you, yes. To prove this to you, now again, okay, this was a while ago, y'all, okay? So don't, I mean, they got a lot more hair. This was before Justin went a little bit off the rails. He's back on the rails, but this was before that. Um, this was pre, like, you know, all of his famous pastor friends phase. Um, but, I, yeah, we met at this conference, and it just kind of happened that we remain friends, and we stay in contact periodically, and every once in a while, I'll say, hey, can we grab a couple tickets to a concert? Or I have two teenage daughters, and um, it's worked out really well. Now, when I tell that story, how many of you in the room believe me? And don't you lie. Don't you lie. How many of you believed me when I just told you that story? Even halfway through, you're with me. You're literally, people are holding their hands up like this, like entire rows of people. 
brave soul. He's not afraid. How many of you believe me? Raise them high. All right. How many of you are like, no, no way. This is not real. Okay, first of all, you're lying because I saw your faces. All right. <clears throat> no, I don't know Justin Bieber. Absolutely not. I've never seen him in my life. My husband photoshopped that picture for me yesterday afternoon. I know. And then I texted it to Sierra, and I said, Sierra, I need this picture for tomorrow night at C12. I gave her no context for it at all. I just need it. You know, and today, she, you know, her and Lindsay were like, do you know Justin Bieber? I said, I absolutely know Justin Bieber. Um, and just tried to play it out, you know, through the duration. But no, no, I don't know him. Um, how many of you like being lied to? No one likes being lied to. I hate being lied to. I hate being lied to, even if it's a little white lie. I even hate it when people do what I just did, and they want to tell you something because they think it's funny, right? And they get you to believe it, and you buy into it, and then they go, oh, ha, ha, it's, it's, it's not really true. And you, then you just feel stupid, and I just can't stand to feel stupid. I just can't stand being lied to. I have three children, and my little one, even when they were toddlers, they would come, and they would lie. It would just drive me crazy. My, my blood would boil. Have you ever fallen for a lie? Raise your hand if you've ever, ever been lied to and you believed it by a person. Um, somebody said something to you and you believed it, and then ultimately it was not true. And what happened? You, you were hurt, right? We have all been lied to. Somewhere in our history, someone has looked at us and pretended to be something they weren't or told us something that wasn't true, or made a promise that they didn't keep, or a commitment that they refused to fulfill, we've all been lied to, and we have bought into the lie, and ultimately been angry with ourselves and other people for believing it. Even Jesus was tempted to believe a lie. And Miles began this series with you a couple of weeks ago, and then last week, talking about the temptations of Jesus as he went into the desert with the devil, and the devil tempted him. But let me, let me tell you what was happening in the desert. The devil was just spitting lies. And the temptation was for Jesus to believe the lie. And so that's what I want to do tonight. I want to look at the temptations of Jesus Christ, but I want to look at them through a little bit of a different lens. I want to look at them versus, you know, taking lies versus truth. Because the devil lied to Jesus, but Jesus didn't fall for it. Now, the devil lies to you, and tonight I want to help you not fall for it. Jesus had the option. The fact that Jesus was even tempted, the word tempted meant that he wanted to, right? That's what temptation is. He was tempted, thought about it, he had the option, but he didn't. Because Jesus was as well all human as he was all God. So we get tempted. We have the option. You, like Jesus did, you actually have the option to not believe it. Not sure we always know how. That's what tonight's about. The devil preys upon all kinds of lies we tell ourselves. He whispers in our ear things like, you need to be perfect. <clears throat> or you need people's approval. Or avoiding problems is always better than facing them. Or lies like everything should go your way, and if everything goes your way, well, then you'll be happy. Or the lie that success will determine your significance. Or the lie that life should be fair. 
or the lie that you shouldn't have to wait for what you want, that you should be able to have what you want now and that you deserve anything you want, or the lie that your problems are always someone else's fault, or the lie that I shouldn't have to change who I am in order to be with anyone. Those are all lies of the devil. And because they're lies, they can never come true. But I'm not sure we're very good at recognizing the lie when it's in front of us and knowing what to do when it presents itself. And lies are the things that blow up our lives. Those of us who said, yes, we've been lied to, isn't it true that whatever lie it was that you believed ended up blowing up your life in some way? Somehow, it did something in your life that caused a major problem, a major collision, a major blow up. <clears throat> so here we go. Here's your, main, here's your main truth for tonight. This is it. If you're taking notes, this is what you want to write down. It's one line, main truth. <clears throat> You got to conquer the lies that conquer you. Conquer the lies that conquer you. I'm going to read you a verse from the verse of Romans. Actually, uh, they're going to put it up on the screen. Can you all see the screen if I move this? No, none of you on this side. It's going to be fine. All right. <laughs> Maybe not. You know, just mouth it. Watermelon. Okay. Romans 8. It says, no, in all these things. So in how many things? All these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In all these things, we, you and I, are more than conquerors. Think, think vanquishing. Think like back in, in the movies. Think like you're conquering lands and legions and regions. We are more than conquerors of all things if we are in Jesus Christ. And so tonight is all about how to conquer the lies that conquer you, we all have them. And the devil is not creative. And so the lies that we keep falling for tend to be the same ones. Over and over and over and over. And we fall for it over and over and over and over. Here is the first line. We're going to look at scripture. But here's the first lie that the devil presented to Jesus. All right. So again, if you're taking notes, you should write this down. If you're not taking notes, you should still write this down because this is good. Okay. <clears throat> The first lie that the devil gave Jesus is this. I am what I do. I am what I do. So let's look at Luke chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. This is the passage you've been in. It says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, full of what? Okay. Returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Wilderness, we're talking about Middle Eastern desert, y'all, okay? Like there's nothing. It says where he was tempted by the devil for how long? That's a long dang time, don't you think? 40 days in the desert to be tempted the entire time? Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. Now, this makes perfect sense to me. If I haven't eaten in 40 days, bread's a good idea, right? And I'm thinking if I'm Jesus, not only can I turn that into bread, I could really do whatever I wanted with it. I could make it into whatever I could, I could dream of. I created the world. I could certainly make a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him what? No. What did Jesus tell him? No, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. So he, the lie, I am what I do. How, how am I getting here from there? 
Because up to this point, Jesus had done nothing in his public ministry. He had grown up, he's about 30-ish years of age, and really hadn't done anything. He hadn't proven himself to anyone. He had performed no miracles yet. He'd made no major contributions to the world. There weren't like the many, many, many disciples or the many, many, many crowds of people joining around him to hear him teach or to see what he could do. That had not happened yet. In everyone's eyes, he's an ordinary man. Had done nothing. And Satan says, turn these stones into bread. In other words, Satan looks at Jesus and says, just prove you can do something. If you are who you say you are, then surely you could do something as small as this. I mean, and if you're the God of the universe and the God of the creations, and I'm just asking you to turn, into a, turn this into a loaf of bread, I'm thinking you should be able to do that if you are who you say you are. This is one of the biggest lies we buy into our, in our culture. And I'm just telling you, your age, your generation, this is the lie that this generation is buying into. And it is screwing up everything that's coming after. Prove you have value. Prove that you are as good as you say you are. Prove that you're worth something because you can do something. What have you achieved? What have you done? How much money do you make? What are you going to do? What do you dream of doing? What are you going to school to do? What are you studying? What's the first question that we ask little children? What are you going to be when you grow up, right? Is it the very first thing that we're told from the time we're very little? You should figure out what you want to do. You know, and little three-year-olds, well, I want to be, you know. I mean, how, what? They have no idea. They just want Cheerios for a snack. That's all they know. And we're like, tell me, what do you want to major in in college? But from a very early age, we are bringing up everyone to think that you are what you do. That your identity is found in what you can achieve. No one goes to little kids and says, so tell me, um, how do you plan on not being selfish in life? Or... What kind of character would you like to have? What kind of a spouse might you be someday? You know, on a scale of 1 to 10, how honest are you? We don't have these conversations. We don't talk about these things when, when, when we're young. We simply talk about what we're going to do because somehow what we're going to do seems to speak to who we are, and that's not true at all. And the devil came to Jesus with the same thing. So when I was in high school, I played fast-pitch softball. Anybody else an athlete in high school? <clears throat> All right. Woohoo! Somebody, does that mean you were semi-good? Like, I don't know what that means. Like, yoo-hoo. Okay, that's awesome. All right. So I played fast-pitch softball in high school, and um, I was accidentally good at it. I didn't mean to be good at it. Um, I, there were some friends that were part of it. They said, you want to be part of it? I said, sure, I'll be a part of it. And I went and joined up and was a part of it. Um, and my sophomore year in high school, we were playing in the regional championship. And I was supposed to pitch that weekend in the championship game. Now, I'm a sophomore in high school, and I was also taking geometry, and I suck at math. I mean, not like a little bit, like a lot. I mean, I just barely was passing. I, I, and it wasn't for lack of trying. I just don't think that way. 
have a different kind of brain that thinks a different way. Some people think very mathematically. Some people think very scientifically. I was not that person. I liked English, things like that. I liked art, things like that. I was not mathematical. And so here I find myself in geometry, and I'm getting a D in geometry. Now, in order to play that weekend in the regional championship, I needed a B or higher on the final that we were about to take. Because it's the end of the year, we're coming to the end of the season, thus the regional tournament. And so we go in that day into my geometry class to take the final, and they pass it out, you know, and it lands on my desk. And I, and I just know, I mean, I've tried, and I've even had tutors, and it's just not working out for me. So I take this test, and I'm going through, and if you remember geometry or anything, like, it's just, I'm just writing stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I don't know, like, the, the question has an A, B, and a C in it. I'm just going to make some stuff that has an A, B, and C in it. And I don't have any a, a proof. I don't know. I don't want to prove anything. I mean, I'm, I have no idea. And, so, and I'm literally writing things because I just, in geometry, you've got to fill all the space. There's so much space <laughs> to put things. So... Uh, I'm putting things, and I went up, and I handed that in, and I just knew it. I just knew I failed it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. So I turned it in, and I was just resigning myself to the reality that I probably wasn't going to be playing in the game that weekend okay, because I was going to be ineligible because of my grades, and I was just sort of emotionally um, coming to grips with that. So came back to class the next day. And our teacher's walking around and passing our finals out, and he lays the final on my desk, and in a very big red color is the letter B. I was like, what? <laughs> no, y'all you know how you go in to take a test, and like, it's, it's, like when you, it's like the only time in the week you pray? <laughs> like, you know. So I go in, and I... When I was taking the test, I really was like, Lord, I know, like, I get it. I know I was drunk the other night. I understand, like, you and I, we don't talk much. But just in this moment, in this day, like, I'm yours, you know. Like, somehow, like, do the thing. You know, I know it was your miracles and all that stuff. Just somehow, like, inside and out and on the paper. Don't you want me to play? I'll be so good. And, and all these things. And you start praying, right. You're like, I'll even fast from lunch. I won't even go. I just won't. And so I get my B back on my test, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, God is real. Like, <laughs> it's real. It's true. Holy crap. I'm like, look at, like, this. Do you see? Like, I don't even understand. And I started to go, I'm smart. Like, you know how you take it to, like, other places, and you're like, I thought that I was really dumb in this, but no, I am, like, wicked smart in this thing. And so like, the class is over, and I pick up my final. I'm feeling so good. And I, and I walk up to my teacher who's sitting at his desk, my teacher slash softball coach. You're with me, aren't you? <clears throat> and I said, Coach, I can play this weekend. He goes, I know. I said, I got a B. He goes, I know. And I went, how? Like, how? I go, I did this. How did this happen? He goes, and he looked at me straight in the face, didn't crack a smile. He says, Heather, sometimes coaches have a way with numbers. 
totally true story. You know what I learned? People cared more about what I did than who I was. He cared more that I could do something. He cared more about success and winning than he did about the character of my soul or what that would embed to me in the years to come. You know what no one cared about when I graduated from college and started applying for jobs? My game ball that I had from the regional championship. Like, nobody cared about those kinds of things. You know what happened when I went into ministry or when I came to 12 Stone? You know what? Kevin Myers did not ask me, hey, Heather, why don't you, when you come in and we do this interview, wouldn't you bring all of, like, your awards that you've received from athletics? I'd like to take a look at them. No, nobody cares. You know what he wanted to know? He wanted to know what kind of person I am. He wanted to know about my integrity and my character. We choose success over self-respect and character because we buy into the lie that we are what we do. And we will cheat our way, lie our way, reconfigure our way. We will manipulate our way into success because we think if we fail that we are less of a person. You've been taught that you are what you do. And you're not. I'm a pastor, I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a friend. I have a lot of different roles in this life and I can do a lot of different things. But do you know that in a heartbeat all that could change? Not because I would want it to or because I would hope for it to, hope for it to but because in some traumatic moment something could happen and all of a sudden I'm not a mom anymore, I'm not a wife anymore. Anything could change. And if those things changed, the things that I did, what would I be left with? Well, I would hope that I would know who I was still. You are not what you do. And Jesus knew it. It's a classic lie of the devil. Jesus knew he wasn't what he did. Jesus was like, I don't have to prove anything to you. I don't have to do Anything. He knew what he could do, and he didn't need to display it for anyone else. Jesus knew he was loved by the Father in heaven if he never did anything. You are loved by the Father in heaven. You are loved by God no matter what you've done or didn't do. No matter what you're doing or no matter what you ever will do, good or bad, you are loved by the Father in heaven. That's what blows our mind. We don't understand this because human beings don't do this with us. Other humans don't love us no matter what we do or don't do. Human love is not perfect love. Perfect love comes from the Father. And Jesus knew he was perfectly loved by the Father. And so it didn't matter what the devil said. Our significance is not found in success. Y'all, here's the deal. You're going to fail in your career. You're going to make huge relationship mistakes. Those of you who ultimately one day get married, you will have difficult times in your marriage, and a lot of them will be your fault. You won't win at everything you try. You won't do it all the way right. 
and you will still be so deeply loved by the Father in heaven. You will still be so deeply cared for. Even when Jesus was questioned by the devil, he never even defended himself. Even when Jesus was taken and arrested and he was getting ready to be hung on the cross and he's being tried and, and he's being interrogated, he never one time defended himself. He never proved himself, and he could have. You know that. He could have, like, ripped those things off of his arms. He could have, he could have flown off of the cross. He could have done any manner of things and defended and proved himself, but he didn't because he didn't need to. He had a mission, and he had something that the Father had asked him to do, and he knew he was deeply loved by the Father, and that was enough. A couple years ago, I was putting my little boy to bed. So he was six at the time, Judah. And every night before he goes to bed, either myself or my husband, we pray with him. So that night it was me, and I was praying with him, and I was putting him to bed. And I said, okay, Judah, you know, mommy will pray, and then you pray. And so he begins to pray, and this is what he prayed. He said, Jesus, help me be good at everything I do. Help me do it all perfect. I was like, I'm praying. I'm like, oh, dear Jesus, I reject this prayer. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm like, I don't know what to do right now. Like, there's a six-year-old praying, and do I go, like, stop it, stop it. I mean, no, you know, like, Lord, hear, do not hear his prayer. Like, I don't know. And, yeah. um, and so he gets done praying, and I'm like, buddy, buddy, yeah, you know. <laughs> I mean, mommy. Mommy's failed you, apparently, and, uh, um, you know, you don't have to be good at everything. You really don't. You don't have to be perfect at everything. And if you fail something or if you struggle with something, like, that's okay. It's okay to struggle. And his mind was like, you know. And he's actually one that we continually have to work with. To help him understand that just because something isn't 100% every time you do it doesn't mean that you're a failure. It's just a part of his innate personality. But we are not what we do. You are not what you do. You've got to conquer the lies that conquer you. Conquer the lies that conquer you. So let's go to the next one. But let's go to verse 5 in the passage first. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Difference. Devil led him up to high, I will give a different version. Devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. That's so, isn't that hilarious that the devil goes, It's been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Here's the second lie. I am what I have. I am what I have. Satan comes up to Jesus and he says, look around. Look around, Jesus. Look at all of this as if Jesus didn't know, as if Jesus' very hands were not the architect of everything that had been created. But he says, Jesus, take a look around. It's all mine. 
This belongs to me, but you know what? I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you, and all you have to do is worship me. That's all you have to do. All you have to do. Jesus says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Our culture measures us by what we have. Our sense of significance tied to a position at work or a career or a paycheck or to our friends or the kind of friends that we have or to our social life or to our appearance. Even to whether people like our family accept us or this person accepts us. Whether we have what other people have. You know that you look at other people who have things that you don't. And you long for what they have. What do they have that I don't that they got what I didn't get? How did, why did they get that family and I didn't? Why did they get those finances and I didn't? Why did they get that mind and those grades and I didn't and I struggle? Why do they get that and I don't? I feel less significant because I don't have what they have. And the world would tell us that we are what we have. Not just that we are what we do, but we are what we have. And the devil says, oh, you can have it all. And the world would say to us, you can have it all. You can look at social media and say, I should have it all. I'm going to try and have what they have, and I'm going to try and have what they have, and I'm going to try and have what they have. And if I can't have what they have, I'm going to at least sculpt the appearance that I have what they have. I'm going to create the illusion and the facade that I have what they have. We would never so blatantly say, yes, Satan, I will worship you, right? Because Satan says, just worship me and you can have it all. We, I mean, we, Jesus, clearly, he, he doesn't buy into the lie, but, and we would never go, okay, here's, that's what I'll do. But that's not how Satan approaches us. When he says, worship me and I'll give it all to you, he presents himself in a disguise. He just presents himself as all of the things you don't have, you think you should have, and says, here, don't you want this? The devil was the original worship leader in heaven. You can read about this in the Bible. Because the devil used to be, Satan used to be an angel in heaven. Do you all know this? So he used to be an angel in heaven, and then he got all big for his britches, and he got all full of pride. And the Bible says that he was the most beautiful of angels, and he was the worship leader of angels. And he stood right beside the throne of God and would lead the angel legions in worship. Satan, the original worship leader. When he was kicked out of heaven for trying to usurp the throne and become God himself, he still took with him the ability to woo people. He still has with him the ability to lead people in worship. The problem is he's not leading people to worship the Lord. He's leading people to worship him, and we just don't see it. We're so busy worshiping what we think we should look like or be like or what we should do or what our life should have. And we're so busy worshiping the fact that I want to be married. And so I'm going to worship relationships. I'm going to worship chasing that or 
I'm so busy. I've got I've to have the family that I want, and so I'm going to chase that, and I'm going to worship this idealistic picture of what was supposed to be. We do these things, and we don't even recognize that we have essentially listened to the lie in the desert and bought in. He's still the worship leader. How would you, like, if, if you and I were sitting down at a table across from each other one-on-one, and if I said, if you just had this, your life would be better, how would you complete the sentence? If I just had this, I could sleep at night. If I just had this in my life, things would be better. If I just had this, I'd have more joy. If I just had this, I would feel more confident. If I just had this, I wouldn't be so worried. If I just had this, I wouldn't feel so hurt. Don't we all have something we would fill in the blank? The thing that we obsess over, the thing that we want most. If I just had You are not what you have. You are not what you have. And listen, sometimes I think it's more important to know you're not what you don't have. Your lack of having something doesn't make you less than. And having it doesn't make you more. You are not what you have. Conquer the lies that conquer you. Let's go to the next and the final temptation. In verse 9. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you. And they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So, like, you know this is where the whole, if your friend just jumped off a cliff, would you do it started. Like right here. So the devil goes, jump. See this cliff we're on? Jump. Because if you are who you say you are, then the angels will come and save you. Because they're loyal to you and they worship you and they love you. And if all that's really true, if you're really loved, if you're really worshipped, if they really care about you, if the Father in heaven really gives a rip about his son, he will send his angels to get you. So prove to me, Jesus, that you are loved by the Father. Prove to me that you're accepted. Jesus says, nope, I don't have to prove anything. The third lie, I am what others think. I am what others think.
true freedom in this life comes when you no longer need to be somebody special in somebody else's eyes because being special in the eyes of the Heavenly Father is enough. And I think we wish that we thought that was true. And maybe intellectually we know that's true. Maybe in our minds, you know, when you're here at church and I say to you that Jesus loving you is enough and it doesn't matter what other people think of you because he accepts, like I could tell you that and we could nod our heads and even give an amen or two and say absolutely yes, you know, it doesn't matter what other people think, it only matters what God thinks, but doesn't it matter to us what other people think? Doesn't it? It matters so much. We care so much about it. And it makes us mad that we care so much about it. We wish we could stop caring about what other people think. And there's always the person that goes, I don't care what other people think, right? There's always that person, I don't, I don't care, I don't care. You know what, if you didn't, you wouldn't say that. I mean, you declaring that means you care. Like, we all care. But that's the lie that I am more valuable if people like me. I am more valuable if I'm accepted by them. I am more valuable if they approve of me, if they tell me I'm worthy, if they tell me that I'm smart, that I'm attractive, that, that I'm doing a good job, that I'm a great leader, if they whatever it is, if they tell me that I'm a good student, whatever they tell you, if you're looking for that one thing, if somebody telling you something good makes you feel like you're more significant, or if someone telling you something negative makes you feel like you're worth less, you're buying into the lie. Now, I'm not telling you, if somebody gives you a compliment, of course that feels good. I'm not telling you that it should make you feel good or that it shouldn't hurt if someone is critical of you. I'm talking about the essence of your value. Where you actually start thinking, I'm not worth as much because they think this. And so then you go start chasing the worth. And you go start chasing the value. We learned this so early. You know, I told you my uh, son Judah, you know, a couple years ago we bought him a pair. He was six. We bought him a pair of skinny jeans. They were, and his legs are like this, this big, like super skinny. Like when he stands, you kind of wonder if he's going to like, you know. I mean, he's, he's super tiny little toothpick legs. And we bought him these super skinny, skinny jeans, and he looked like such a stud. He did. He's like rolling up in these like skinny jeans and high tops, right? Going into first grade. You know, looking at all the ladies. What's up? Um, he actually does do that anyway. He's learned how to say, how you doing? He does this. He, true story. Does he not do this? This is what he does. Did you teach him that, by the way? No, not yet. So he wears his skinny jeans to school. Apparently, they weren't as widely accepted by his friends. And so he comes home and declares to me he's never wearing them again. He's never wearing these again. They're horrible. And I would keep trying to pull them out like every other week and like slip them into like the rotation. Like, here, buddy, how about these two? Nope, not, not doing it. Not, I'm, really, I'm really not doing it. He was six years old, and he already knew that he would be celebrated if he just sticks with what makes other people comfortable. Right? How many of us in this room 
live by the lie that if we just do and say what makes other people comfortable, and if we just do and say what keeps people from disapproving of us, well, then we've won. How many times, you know, do you wish that you were willing to just wear what you wanted to wear, say what you wanted to say, decide what you want to decide, go where you want to go, right? Or the whole group's going there and you don't want to and you're like, oh, fine, even though you hate it. And you just kind of go, can we, you know, can we go do this? And they would probably go, but you're just so accustomed to just believing, well, I, you know, I am what I'm doing and I can't go against the crowd, so I'm just going to go. And you hate it. The consequences of this lie are so devastating. Guys, they're so devastating. Jesus would have literally jumped off a cliff if he believed this lie. There are cliffs that you are standing at the edge of, getting ready to jump off. Because you think that you are what other people think. You think you need someone's approval. And the only approval you need is the Lord's. As long as you're doing what he has asked you to do, that is all you need. And you should know that when Jesus asks you to do something or tells you not to do something, um, the people that don't encourage you to do what he says or to not do what he says don't do, those people are not your friends. And those people are not the ones that you should be seeking approval from. If you don't have people around you, that will support you in decisions you make to say yes to Jesus and yes to his acceptance, you need new friends. And guess what? Look around. Here's some right here. Just for free. Okay? They're right here. I mean, my husband will put his hand on your leg if you need him to. Like, that's, we're so friendly. Aren't you glad you came tonight, babe? I know you're so glad. Here's why, here's why this lie is so devastating, because here's what we do when we buy into it. When we believe Satan's lie, it forces us to have to lie. Because if I think that I need other people's approval in order to have value, then I have to start to lie. I have to lie about my weaknesses. I have to lie about what I don't have. I have to create an image on social media. I have to create a visual image. I have to not tell people the complete truth. I have to not reveal my flaws or my failures or tell people how I'm really doing or how I'm really feeling. We have to lie. We have to say what makes other people come, but we have to self-protect. Or we're going to self-indulge. Suffer from perfectionism. Become manipulative. Become possessive. These are the things we fall into when we need other people's approval. Living for other people is absolutely exhausting, isn't it? One of the most heartbreaking things sometimes I hear is when, especially college students, and 20-somethings who are trying to discern what God wants for their lives and the direction that God wants them to take. 
and their father or their mother or somebody very close to them and somebody that should be helping guide them and approve of what God has called them to makes it actually difficult to say yes to God. It's a real hard thing. When the people whose approval you should have, the most of you don't. Your relationship with God is your relationship with God. And no one else can make decisions about your relationship with the Lord other than you. And you are responsible for them. You are responsible to say yes to him. Which means it's only his thoughts and opinions that should matter. What he thinks. If we cared as much about what God thought... Wouldn't we live differently? If every room and every circumstance you walked into, if you thought, well, I wonder what God thinks about this, about my decision, wouldn't it change a lot of things? What does God, what does God think about my decision, my major? What does God think about, you know what, y'all, I majored in pre-med for three semesters, and you know why? Even though I knew I was supposed to change it, it's because my lab partner was hot. That's right. <laughs> Just full disclosure. Um, anyway, I don't know where that came from, not in my notes. That's a silly, stupid, true, but silly example of how we'll just stay with stuff. We'll just keep doing stuff, even though we know it's not the right thing that God has for us. We just know it. We just stay with it. I'm going to give you really quickly, and then we're going to move into a time together, um, I want to give you just three really quick ways, three quick steps when it comes to getting a lie from the devil and receiving it and how you deal with it, all right? I'm going to give you three R's, um, and as I'm doing this, I think uh, they're going to come up, band's going to be coming up, but here they are. I'm going to give you three steps. Okay, here's the first one. I just want you to write these down. Recognize, all right? Reject. Replace. All right, go ahead and come up, guys. Um, recognize, reject, and replace. The first thing you do when you're being lied to is you need to recognize the lie. Have you ever stood in front of someone and knew they were lying to you? Some of you said you knew I was lying to you, but you know how you can recognize a lie, right? You go, this person is lying to me. How do you know if you're being lied to by the devil? Well, if the thing that you're hearing is the opposite of what God would say. Would God say that to you? Would he tell you that about yourself? Would he whisper that in your ear? Would he do that? And if he wouldn't, it's not him. It's the devil. You've got to recognize it. And the greatest way to learn to recognize the truth of God is to be in the word of God. You want to know the truth of God? Be in God's word. People think, well, I don't know what God has to say. God has said a whole lot. And he put it in print. And he delivered it. If you want to know his truth... Read his truth so that you can recognize the lie. And when you hear it, as soon as you hear it, you reject it. <coughs> can I tell you, there's a lot of power in talking back to the devil. I have done it. I have done it. When I've heard that lie that's like, you're not good enough, I have actually said out loud, oh, yeah, get behind me, Satan. I've actually said out loud, I reject that lie. 
when I've had feelings of thinking that I was just, you know, rejected in this life or that I would never be loved or, or that I wasn't pretty enough or I wasn't smart enough or I wasn't good enough or I would never be able to achieve that or I would never be able to accomplish that. All of those things that God would never say to one of his children. And I've often in my life said, you know what, devil? You are a liar and it is not true. And I say it out loud. Because sometimes just saying it out loud gives power to it. And then replace it. You hear the lie. No one loves you. And you say, oh, you know what, devil? You are wrong and you are a liar and I reject that lie. Because let me tell you, God's word says that I am loved. And that God sent his only son because he loves me. I am loved. That's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus, he recognized the lie. He rejected the lie. He said, no, I will not do that. No, I will not worship you. No, I will not turn that stone into bread. No, I will not jump off the cliff. No, I will not do that because I know who you are. And you are the thief who came to lie, kill, and destroy my life. And I will not hear you. And not only that, but I'm going to replace it and say, worship the Lord, your God only. Man will not live by bread alone. You recognize it, you reject it, and you replace it with the word of God and the truth. I am beautiful. I am made in God's image. In fact, it says in Psalms that he knew me before I was born. And that he designed me and called me and anointed me and has plans for me. See, every one of you have bought into a lie, and I don't know what it is. But every one of you are operating under a lid of a lie. And if you could just pop that top, you could rise up to the calling that God has on your life. One of my favorite songs this year, in fact, we're going to sing it together. And I'm going to invite you into a time of response. The song is called New Wine. One of my favorite songs because it talks about that sometimes, like, in order for new wine to emerge you got to be willing to be crushed and broken. you got to be willing to let go of the old. And sometimes we settle for the fruit, right? We settle for the grapes. We settle for the pretty. We settle for the surface. We settle for the surface. We settle for the grapes that you could buy at the store for 99 cents when the whole time God wants to say, if you'll just let me take you and break you and mold you, and if you will just reject what was and embrace what is, new wine would emerge and you would become that expensive bottle with depth and richness of flavor, you would be the thing that was coveted and wanted on the top shelf if you would just walk away from what was and step into what is new. If you would just believe. Can you choose to believe that you are not what you do? You are just not what you do. If you never did another thing for the rest of your life, you would still be loved. That you are not what you have or you don't have. And you are not what someone thinks of you. You are not what someone has said to you. You are not the evil words that were spoken over you. You are not those statements of rejection that were given to you. You are not that. And that you could be a son or daughter of the king. So as we sing this song together, I want you to ask yourself if you're buying into any of that. Have you bought into it? 
and just get honest and open with the Lord. This is what I believe in. This is what I believe about myself. I believe this about myself. And the, I've let the devil seal it on my soul. And I don't want to live under it anymore. I don't want to live under this anymore. I don't want to be in bondage and enchained to this anymore. Ask him to help you name what that is. Recognize it. Name it. I don't want to be under rejection. I don't want to be, be under betrayal. I don't, want to, I don't want to be under dishonesty. I don't want to be labeled as an addict. I don't want to be these things anymore. I don't want to be what I do. I don't want to be chased by perfectionism. I don't want to have to like um, be underneath the bondage of OCD. I don't want to have to be underneath this stuff anymore. Reject it and replace it with these words that we declare together. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray for us, okay? But hear me. As I pray, and then we're going to go into worship. This is what I want. Listen to me. Lean in. Y'all, it's hard sometimes to listen to God when you're inside of your comfort zone. And so I don't want you to stay in your comfort zone. I want you to use this space up here as an open altar if you need to. I need you to get in the space and the framework where you can hear from God and you can do this work. If you need to sit in your seat, kneel at your chair, lift your head, lay down on the floor. I don't care what you need to do, but you need to do something so that when you leave here today, you leave freer than when you came. So I'm going to pray. And as we start to sing, you just respond. Heavenly Father, we come to you in this moment, and as we raise these words to you of a new wine and do a new thing in our life, Jesus, I pray that you would do a new thing tonight. Lord, I pray that you would do a new thing in the hearts of these students. Lord, I pray that these lies that they have lived under, that they have bought into, that the devil has whispered into their ear and they have surrendered to, and you used other people to do it. You used mothers, you used fathers, you used friends, you used our childhood childhood and neighborhood friends, Lord. You use aunts and uncles and teachers and coaches. You use people all over to speak things. Um, the devil used it to speak things into our lives that weren't true. And Lord, we're just here today to declare that they're not true. And devil, we reject them. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just fill every one of these students new and afresh with the truth of God's word, that they are chosen, that they are loved, that they are made unique, that they are made special, that they are made beautifully, that they were known before they were ever born, that there's a plan for them, that Jesus is coming back for them someday. Lord, I pray that you would affirm those things on their heart. Jesus, and I pray that they would confess to you the lie that they live under, that you would reveal it to them. Father, that they would be able to name it where maybe before they'd never been able to name it. They didn't even know what to call it. They didn't know what it was. They just knew that they needed to come out from under it. Lord, would you do a work? Would you do a miracle? Would you free some people up tonight in this room as we sing together that we are new wine? <laughs>